You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we ask that you would make your son present to us here this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, please turn to page six. It feels like a lifetime ago we actually read the gospel lesson, and we'll be looking at uh, St. Luke, and we'll be looking just a little bit at the Old Testament lesson, but mostly St. Luke. So if you would, turn there. And before I begin, I want to start. Whenever we have texts like these, where Jesus comes at us and tells it how it is, and in many ways it really is meant to be this convicting not condemning so much, but convicting text, I always like to give a little disclaimer, not disclaimer, but at the beginning, uh, if you leave this place and you think, I'm going to tell everyone out there who I know who has a problem with this or that person, uh, love your enemies, well, I think then we've missed the point. This text is meant first and foremost for you and for me. So let's receive it in that way. So that aside, again, we read it a little while ago. What does this text say? Jesus is very radical in this text. He says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, who abuse you, who strike you. And anyone who steals from you, don't ask for it back. Let them have it. When I was in high school, I was a kind of underground Christian. I, I wanted to be really cool, and to be Christian, to wear it on your sleeve was never, not very cool at all. And I'm sure that's true anywhere, but in New Jersey, which is pretty secular, it's like, come on, man, <laughs> get out of here. So, but I, I always had this kind of guilt complex about how, like, you know, I need to be talking about my faith more. I need to let other people know that I'm a Christian, so on your you know, take your Bible to school day. I would bring my Bible. I would put it in between my books so that it was like sandwiched so no one would actually see it, but I had done the deed. Um, and one time I remember feeling, and I don't know why I felt this way, I felt like I had to wear a cross to prove to the world that I was a follower of Jesus. And about five minutes into the school day, that cross went from outside of my shirt to inside my shirt. So this is the kind of person I was, believed in Christ, wanted to be a believer, but was desperately concerned about the cool factor. So, fast-forwarding, it's my senior year. It's the time for your senior year yearbook, and all the seniors got to come up with a quote. And I knew that if, I, if it wasn't Jesus-y, if it wasn't something from Scripture, well, then I probably wasn't a real Christian. So the text I chose, and I made sure it was in the KJV, only because, you know, old language is kind of cool, right? So if, uh, you know, if, whatever, if, you know, if I did John 3.16, that would be pretty lame. But, so I did, I did this text, and it's from the text that we read today. Um, actually, it's not the text we read today. It's the, the text we, I'm jumping the gun. The text we, I put in my yearbook was, Greater love hath no man than this than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Pretty good one, right? One that you can't really disagree with. And I, I kind of had this core five group. We were like, uh, we consider ourselves like a posse, a crew. And it was really <laughs> under that I wrote to the skillies, which is what we called ourselves because we were actually pretty lame. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, inserting a Bible verse 
into my yearbook, I thought it was something that was brave. I thought I was doing something good and I was letting people know about Christ and yada yada. But that same year that I chose that text, I watched a movie that came out in theaters. You probably all remember it, The Passion of the Christ. And I don't know about you, I know people had qualms with it here and there, but I, as a young kid in high school, was deeply moved by that movie. And I distinctly remember that scene in the movie where Jesus is saying what we just read, that if you love only those who love you, what is that to you? And I remember just being like, oh, that has been my whole life. I've only loved my family, the skillies, even my, the text that I chose. Again, it's scripture, so it's a good one. But here in this text, Jesus, again, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If they hit you on one cheek, give them the other. Anyone who begs from you, give, and if they steal from you, let them have it. And how does it end? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? So in this text, Jesus is telling us to do a very hard thing. And I want us to internalize that. This is a very hard thing. I'm not telling you, you know what, love your enemies. And when you leave these doors here, you will from now on love them or else. This is the kind of thing that takes a lifetime, a lifetime's work of the Holy Spirit to birth in us. I mean, why would Jesus tell us to love our enemies? I mean, I have trouble enough loving those who love me. Oftentimes my parents drive me absolutely nuts and I have a hard time loving them. Think about your friends. Think about if anyone dares even think about crossing you. Maybe I'm just from New Jersey and we have mafia culture, so it's like if you cross me, you're out. But I think it's probably true for all of us. It's hard enough loving those closest to us. Now, you all know this to be true, right? Think about the last time a matriarch or a patriarch died. A family you know, and someone dies, and all of a sudden, this close, these close-knit siblings, brothers and sisters, who you know, had each other till the very end, one of the family members starts to think that maybe the executor wasn't fair. Maybe I didn't get my fair share. And then suddenly, this really close-knit group shatters. Now, I used to think this was, as a pastor, I encounter this all the time, unfortunately, around deaths and around funerals. I used to think it was just those people. But then it happened to my own family. My grandfather dies 20 years ago. And my mother and my aunts and my uncle, who were once so close, my favorite day of the year, every Every year was Jewish Christmas, which was Christmas Eve. Don't ask too much about it. It's Jews who just needed a Christmas tree to celebrate. But we stopped getting together after my grandfather died because this worry about being cheated out of money, which turned out not to be true at all, sent a rift through the family. So again, where we started, Jesus, it's hard enough loving those right in my purview. Loving those whom I love. What do you mean, love my enemies? Love those who revile me, who abuse me? I think the only way we can really understand and internalize Jesus' command is by taking a look at his life. 
He may have said, greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. But what he shows is far more than that. And what the gospel accounts leave implicit, he, or Paul, in his writings, make explicit. What he shows through his life, St. Paul unpacks in its greatest detail. He says this, St. Paul says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? If God goes to the cross for us while we were his enemies, this sheds light on what Jesus is saying in the text that we just read. Now think about like the, the end of his life, right? In, a, in no time at all we'll be in Lent, no time at all we'll have Holy Week, we'll have Good Friday. What is the first of the seven words of Christ on the cross? The first is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here Jesus on the cross is, of course, praying for his friends, but for his enemies as well. He is demonstrating in his life this, 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 this too-good-to-be-true thing, this thing that is a little too close to home, right? Like, But I cannot pray for those people. I cannot get over that. The cost of that is just too darn high. And if you feel that way, and if I'm honest with myself, you know, when I'm done being pious, when someone has actually hurt me, when someone's actually betrayed me, this becomes the hardest thing of all. But you and I are not alone in feeling this way. In fact, the very interesting thing about the early church is that of all the sayings of Jesus on the cross, in fact, all the passages in the Gospels together, we find that a lot of ancient manuscripts of Luke in that text where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And a lot of those ancient manuscripts, that text is omitted. And people have wondered why. Why is this text omitted in a whole lot of the Lucan narratives? And what scholars say is that it's likely because the scribes are not very much different than you and me. They had a hard time coming to grips with Jesus actually praying for those who put him on the cross. It was probably excised because, just like you and me, some of those ancient scribes thought that they knew the mind of God better than Jesus did. So friends, if this text is a scandal to you, or if maybe it hasn't been, you've just been used to it, but then someone actually hurts you, and then it's so hard. The message here is that God's forgiveness does not work according to our sensibilities. Here, at the cross, where I pointed us to, the cruel and the vile, those people and us, we are offered this divine embrace that we simply cannot comprehend. We can't comprehend it because when it happens to us, we want nothing to do with it. And if it's hard to accept that God's forgiveness extends to the people who have hurt you, who have hurt me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think of whenever I think of people who hurt me, and this is like an old thing and a long time ago, I think of back to high school again. This guy, we'll call him Jared. 
he just he wanted to make my life a living hell, and I don't know why. Um, he's just one of those bullies. You probably had that person in your life too. Um, God's forgiveness extends to Jared, which means that God's forgiveness extends to me as well. That is this incomprehensibility of God asking us to love our enemies, of God actually loving his enemies. We, it becomes a little bit more palatable, a little bit more, we're able to receive it when we realize that we ourselves are included in this too. Little by little through life, we are going to see more and more that this, the wideness of God's mercy, grace, and love is for us. And as Tim Keller likes to say, when we see, when we catch those glimpses of just how rough we can be, um, we start to internalize this love more and more. So friends... When I had trouble loving someone who really hurt me, I went to a pastor one day. And he's a good pastor. Um, but in this moment, he would say he was not so good. He told me, well, you need to go love that person. You need to stop it and love that person. And in that moment, this otherwise incredible pastor, uh, I was completely dejected by it. I knew I just couldn't muster that up. And what he told me a few days later, after telling me he mucked it all up, he said, get in touch with this radical love of Christ. The love of Christ who not only on the cross, but in his whole journey there, loved his enemies, loved you and me. So friends, these are tough sayings. But the good news is that as we are worked on little by little, This becomes more and more true of us. And the best news is that there will be a day when you and I love. Love those closest to us, because again, those people can be sometimes the hardest to love. But also those who revile us and persecute us. This news, while in the moment it feels like it's not good news, when we look to the cross... And what Christ has done for you and me, it becomes the best news of all. So friends, know that we were once God's enemies. Nevertheless, God loves and forgives us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.